Well, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the 63rd Psalm. Psalm 63 is where we'll be today. It's a privilege to be back here at our Harris campus. If you don't recognize my face, I am a pastor of this church, but I spend most of my Sundays at our Mallard Creek campus. My name's Kyler Smith, serve as senior associate pastor, and I'm preaching today because our senior pastor, Clint Presley, he and his sweet wife, Connie, are away today. They're spending a little bit of time in Mississippi with Connie's family, so you be praying for them. They'll be traveling back this week, and he'll be in the pulpit next Sunday. But today, I had executive privilege to choose the text, and I chose the 63rd Psalm, mainly because I needed it, and I believe by the power of the Spirit, it will be a text you need to cling to this coming year. For Psalm 63, it is a psalm for a new year. This is a psalm that I trust will orient your mind and heart to that which is most important as we look at 2022 in the front mirror and we in the front window and we see 2021 in the rearview mirror. Psalm 63, it was sung almost every Lord's Day by the early church. This is a psalm that most commentators remark is one of the most beautiful in all the Bible. Psalm 63, if you found it, I invite you to stand with me as we read together God's word. The 63rd Psalm, beginning in verse 1, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I'll bless you as long as I live, and in your name I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, you've been my help, God. In the shadow of your wings I'll sing for joy. You see, my soul clings to you, yet your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life they're going to go down into the depths of the earth. They'll be given over to the power of the sword. There shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. Would you join me as we pray? Oh, to know you as David did, oh God. I pray we would know you as he knew you. I pray you would awaken us, all of us, to the rock-solid truth that you alone can satisfy our souls. And I pray you would do just that through your word, by the power of your spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name I ask this. Amen. You may be seated. 1 Peter 1, chapter 3 and verse 18 is, without a close second, my favorite verse in all the Bible. This is the verse I want on my tombstone. For it says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to, do you know what it says next? Heaven? To bring us out of hell? To bring us joy? Peace, 
to bring us reconciliation, regeneration, to bring us justification, sanctification, glorification. Those are all wonderful realities, but it goes one step further. For 1 Peter 3 in verse 18 says that Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God. God is the greatest gift he can give. God's greatest gift to you is not your health, it is not your wealth, it is himself. John, the famed apostle John knew this in John 17 and verse 3 when he said, this is everlasting life, that you know God. The apostle Paul, he told us in Philippians 3 that the reason he could suffer the way he did is because through his suffering, he knew that he was going to gain God. God is the greatest gift of the gospel. If you've been a Hickory Grove any amount of time, the next thing I'm about to say is not going to sit well with you, and it shouldn't, but it is true. In a very real sense, the Christian gospel is a prosperity gospel. Not the kind you think and not the kind our pastor rails against. For this is a gospel that makes the prosperity gospel look so small, puny, so ridiculous that it makes you righteously indignant. For the scripture promises that we have a possession so priceless, a reward so rich, a gift so great. We have an inheritance so invaluable that to settle for anything less than God is ridiculous. It's insane. And yet, we do. Time and again, I do. So often, daily, I war with my flesh that tends to prefer the gifts over the giver. You ever find yourself? Some of you in this room are thinking that I'm overstating it. Perhaps some of you today think, Kylie, listen, if you only knew what my life is like, you would know why I need God's gifts at least as much as I need him as the giver. My health is failing. My wealth is draining. My marriage is crumbling. My anxiety is crippling. I don't need God. I need his gifts. Kyler, I'm in a dry and weary land, like the 63rd Psalm. I don't need God at that moment. I need water. I need some help. And if that's you, if in the integrity of your own heart you know that you really want God's gifts more than God himself, then this is a psalm for you. The 63rd Psalm is for people like you and I who 2021 has been a wilderness of weariness. For the 63rd Psalm is penned by the famed King David. Did you notice at the top of Psalm 63, a superscription right next to the big number 63, there is probably in all caps in your Bible, a statement that says Psalm of David. And it happens to say that this Psalm of David was written when David was in the wilderness of Judea. Do you know that that superscription is inspired? That's the Bible we're reading. That is not added in later. The earliest manuscripts we have of the Bible include those superscriptions. That was not written by Crossway, in other words. 
This is from God himself, and it's critical that we see this. For David wrote this sweetest of psalms in the most bitter of circumstances. David was on the run. You can find the story behind Psalm 63 in 2 Samuel 15. Mark that in your margin. For in 2 Samuel 15, David is running from his own son Absalom, who has treacherously taken over the kingship. He's trying to kill his own father so that he can take the power. And David is languishing in the Judean wilderness. He is languishing physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And notice what David does in this lowest, darkest moment. And put yourself in his shoes. In the worst moment of your life, in the worst, darkest moment of David's life, he cries out out of the depths, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. You. For David learned what we must know this Lord's day. Dear church, take it to the bank. Your deepest need is God himself. You need God more than you need water. You need God more than you need air to breathe. You need God more than shelter, more than shade. You need God. David makes this point abundantly clear. 21 times in Psalm 63, he keeps saying, God, you, your God. He keeps talking to God. The whole prayer is him focused on his need for God, oh Lord, I need you, he keeps crying out. Lord, I need you, I need you, I need you more than water. And just remember, this is David dying. David did not take a, an escape from the city to have a little mountain retreat for the weekend. When he says Judean wilderness, that is not desirable. He is languishing out here, and he makes clear that his greatest need is not new circumstances. It's God himself. And so today, I want to invite you to sit with me at King David's feet, and let's learn that no matter the circumstances, our deepest need really is God. Three lessons I want us to learn from this sweet, suffering psalmist of Israel. Number one, mark this down, you need, you need to seek him. You need to seek him. Now, for those of you that are in a wilderness right now, the very prospect of seeking God while in the wilderness may seem so far-fetched, you're thinking this is pie in the sky. All of us in this room are in a wilderness to one degree or another. Some of you are in a physical wilderness. Suffering has been so acute this year, you just feel completely out of place. It, this has been a terrible year physically. Some of you are wandering in a emotional wilderness. Anxiety has you so disoriented, you don't know up from down, right from left. I trust a great majority of us, at least at one time or another, have found ourselves in a spiritual wilderness. Just coming to church like this feels like a mirage. You remember what a mirage is? It looks like an oasis. It looks like something beautiful, but when you come, it's not actually there. Church you're told that church is something that'll refresh you, and then you get here, and the last thing that happens is you're refreshed. You just leave as dehydrated as when you came. You're in a spiritual wilderness. If that's you, you're in good company because King David was too. And notice what David does. In the midst of his darkest moment, he cries out, oh God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. Seek, it means to pursue you. I'm longing for you. I'm desiring you, oh God. I want you 
more than water, shade, shelter. I need you. And I pray, oh, I pray that we would see, that we would resolve to seek God as David sought him. Four little things I want to point out to you to show us how David sought God, which I believe are instructive for us. Firstly, if you're taking notes, mark this down. I want you to see in verse one, we ought to seek the Lord this coming year personally. Oh God, you are my God. Notice David didn't say, oh God, you are a God. I believe in the divine. Notice David didn't say, oh God, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He would have been right to have said it. But David brings it home and he says, oh God, you're my God. I'm seeking you, oh God. And let me just say from the outset, if any of you in this room do not know God as your God, he is not yours. You don't have an actual relationship. If in truth you would have to say, oh God, you are my mom's God. You are my dad's God. Oh God, you are the church's God. If you cannot say, oh God, you're my God, I pray you stop at this point. And before you hear anything else I say, that you would make it a matter of prayer this moment and say, oh God, would you please be my God? Oh God, I want to seek you personally. I can't seek you in some sort of aloof, theoretical way. Just coming to church and letting the pastor feed me, and that's it is not enough. He is calling us to make this God our God. One, I want you to seek him personally. But notice, secondly, we also ought to seek him purposefully. Notice, if you will, the latter half of verse one. He says, oh God, you're my God, earnestly I seek you. If any of you in this room have a King James Bible on your lap, you may have noticed that it doesn't say earnestly, it says early I seek you. Now, those two words don't mean the same thing. Why does it say early? It's because the original word shakar in Hebrew, it actually has dual meaning. Earnestly means diligent, you kind of know what the word earnestly means, but it also means early. In other words, for years people saw this as a call to pursue, to seek the Lord as a priority early in the morning. Now, you guys know this by experience. If you don't prioritize something at the beginning of your day, it probably is not going to happen. You've heard Benjamin Franklin's old adage, failing to plan is planning to fail. That's true for all of us. If you do not resolve to seek the face of the Lord at the beginning of your day, there is a good chance the tyranny of the urgent will make it such that you don't seek him. I am not saying you can't have your devotional life at night. Some of you people do that. I don't understand how. I have to do it early in the morning because I know my own heart. And if I don't commune with God in the morning, nobody likes that version of Kyler. I want to plead with you. This is not really thus saith the Lord. It's just more thus saith Kyler. I implore you to take a note of that word earnestly and that you would seek him purposefully. You would seek him early. You would prioritize it. You would make this a significant objective of your morning. You ought to seek him with great purpose. This coming year, it might mean for you, you mark down a time that you are going to commune with your Lord, that this God who is your God, you are going to mark down a time and a place early to seek his face. You ought to seek him personally. You ought to seek him purposefully. I want you to see thirdly that we ought to seek him passionately. There's another P. We're making it easy for me to remember. Notice he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. 
And then he puts that important little clause as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. What David is admitting to us in this verse is that it took this dry and weary land to get him to hunger and thirst for God. Have you found that to be true for you? Have you ever found it true that absence makes the heart grow fonder? That you don't know what you've got until it's gone? You ever found it to be true that soda, for example, I love root beer, my favorite soda. When I am well hydrated, soda is a huge temptation to me. I love to drink root beer. But when I have run eight miles and I am weary, I am in a dry and weary land, so to speak, do you want to know what the last thing I want to get out of my fridge is? I don't want root beer. At that moment, I am desperate for that which didn't tempt me earlier, that which I did not crave earlier. I want that life-giving water, for it is that acute need that helps me see just how precious, how valuable it is. And the, the point I want you to see from David is that David was passionately seeking God because he finally realized that God was all he had that he had been trying to fill himself on the junk foods, the sweets of success, the sweets of sex, the sweets of power, the sweets of prestige, and they all left him wanting. They never satisfied his craving until at last he is in a dry and weary land. He recognizes God's all he has, and all of a sudden his hunger is fully satisfied in him. Fully satisfied in him. Oh, I pray, my friends, that you this coming year would pray a brave prayer with me, that God would strip away all that doles your hunger for him, that you would come to a place of need. But if that prayer scares you because you already feel like you're in a wilderness and you really, really want some water, mark down Proverbs 27 and verse 17 and cling to this profound proverb this coming year, which says, one who is full loathes honey, but to he who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. The point is that when you are hungry, even the most bitter of circumstances can become sweet to you because you recognize there is a good God who is using these circumstances to bring you to see your greatest need, the thing that will alone satisfy you, God himself. I want you to see thirdly that you've got to seek him personally. You've got to seek him purposefully. You gotta seek him passionately. And in verse two, may I give you a fourth little way to seek him? We ought to seek him patiently. For notice in verse two, he uses the word so. That word so at the beginning of verse two means thus. And here's what's happening. He is saying, I am seeking you. I am thirsting for you. I'm hungering for you because so, because I have sought you before in the sanctuary and I found you. I have beheld your power and glory. David is saying, God, I've been here before. I have been hungering for you, and when I sought you, I found you, and you satisfied me. I beheld your power and glory. And David is saying, I have forgotten this power and glory, and now I'm coming back. And I want to encourage you to seek the Lord patiently this year, remembering this, that all of us in this room are prone to spiritual amnesia. 
We are so prone to forget God's goodness in our life, which is why I strongly recommend you make it a practice to journal to the Lord. I am not a dear diary kind of guy, but I am a dear Lord kind of guy. I write prayers to God all the time. The great benefit of it is I can go back years later and go see, as I did this past week, all the ways God has been good to me, all the cares that were on my heart in 2007 that God so took care of that I laughed that I thought those were issues. Go record your walk with the Lord and go back and see his goodness to you. Seek him patiently, knowing that he is a good God who will be found if you seek him. I want you to firstly see your need to seek him this coming year. But secondly, I want you to see in verses three, four, and five, we ought to secondly praise him. Number two, you need, you need to praise him. Look, if you will, at verse three. You'll notice in verse three, he starts breaking out in this crazy praise to the Lord. He just starts crying out. He just starts exulting in the Lord. Verses three, four, and five all echo each other in this triumphant antiphonal praise. Why? Because David was experiencing what all of us know to be true, that all of us by nature praise what we crave. That's why when you take a refreshing drink of water, how do you finish it? That's why when you eat a satisfying meal, you can't help but go, that was good. That's why when you behold your beautiful wife, you can't help but just say, I love you. It is the expression of satisfaction. You praise by nature what you crave. David was in the wilderness. It drove him to craze that crave, that which would alone satisfy him, God. And he couldn't help but respond in praise. It, the Bible shows us that he does it with like his whole body. Verse three says he praises him with his lips. Verse four says he does it with his hands. Verse five says he praises him with his mouth. Verse six says he praises him with his mind. Verse eight even says with his very soul he is praising the Lord but some of you may be thinking, this is one thing to do this. I can like sing with my whole body in the worship service, but when I'm at home and I am facing a terminal cancer diagnosis, when I am at home and I am watching my marriage disintegrate, how, how, how could I worship in the wilderness like that? First time I ever read through the Bible, the story that struck me perhaps more than any other was the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, the famed story of Paul and Silas imprisoned in the Philippian jail. Do you remember what happened in that jail? They were beaten, thrown in stocks. It was around midnight. It was probably freezing cold, probably damp. Rats going around. They've got sores presumably all over their body. And do you recall what they did in that dark midnight hour? It says they started to sing praise to God. And I have my first Bible I read through as a 15-year-old. And do you want to know what's written in the margin? What? Underline, underline, question mark, question mark. Praise the Lord? You see, Paul and Silas learned what David learned and what I pray you learn this Lord's day, that you can worship in the wilderness and you can do so firstly. You can worship in the wilderness happily. Look, if you will, at verse three. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. First time I read that verse, I thought, now that is an overstatement. 
Do you really think God's love is better than life? Do you realize how much we're willing to sacrifice to keep our lives? Cancer patients are willing to take chemo that is nearly killing their body just to have a shot at living. You get in an accident, you're willing to have a limb amputated to save the rest of your body. I mean, we'll go to great lengths to stay alive. What could you possibly say is better than life? I want you to see what David learned in this moment. Chew on this with me. I'm going to need to chew on this for days to come. The wilderness has a way of weaning us from the world. The wilderness has this uncanny way to wean us from thinking we need all these things. It strips us bare. It brings us to the end of ourselves and helps us to recognize what David learned. That when God is all you have, come to find out God really is all you need. You don't need anything else. Oh, that we might learn as David learned that the wilderness can be a gift, that we can praise him and we can do so happily, not out of duty, but we can do so with great delight because even in the wilderness, we know that the giver far exceeds his gifts and we can be in great want but have no need for our great God has met all of our needs in Jesus Christ. Oh, I pray that you would praise him this coming year and do so happily. As verse four says, we ought to also praise him humbly. The, phrase, we lift up our hands. That is the universal way to describe humility in the Bible. When a man lifts up his hands in praise, it is like my nine-month-old little boy. When I go into his room and go to pick him up out of his crib, he is sitting there with his arms upstretched to me, and like a little child who is in desperate need to receive love and food and care from his dad, so too we raise our hands to the Lord and say, Dad, I need you. Father God, I am in great need. Praise him humbly. You can do so with outstretched arms and say, oh God, I have a great need. But if you are a pretty self-assured, self-sufficient individual like me, it can be tough to have a posture of humility before the Lord because I'm not terribly needy. I got my life together. And if you're anything like me, I want to commend to you John 3 and verse 27. Mark it in your margin. Hide this in your heart. A person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. My friends, there is not one thing you have that is not a gift from God Almighty. The breath you breathe, the home you have, the wife you love, gifts from God Almighty. Not one thing you have received has been given to you that is, is yours that has not been given to you by our good God. And so you can praise him this day humbly. You can praise him happily. And we ought to praise him heartily as verse five shows us because notice, he says, I'm gonna praise you because you've satisfied me as fat and rich food. He learned what I am unfortunately not learning like I should, and that's that carbs don't satisfy. And I love a good carb. Have you ever noticed you eat a carb-rich meal, it satisfies you for like 30 minutes, and then you're tired and starving in an hour? But if you eat a meal rich in fat, 
it satisfies. That's why a steak will last a whole lot longer than a donut. It's a fallen world we live in. And David is saying, I am satisfied by you, God, the way I am satisfied by a rich and fat meal. Oh, I am so satisfied. When I taste you, it is far better than anything else this world has to offer. And I think there are probably some in this room that need to hear this 26th day of December in 2021 that only Christ will satisfy you. Hear the words of our Savior. I am the bread of life. Any who come to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You who have been hungering and longing for so many things, you can only get your hunger satisfied, your thirst quenched in Christ himself. So turn to him, seek him, praise him happily, praise him humbly, oh, and praise him with all your heart. Praise him heartily, for he alone can satisfy your soul. Number two, you need to praise him. And number three, may I finally impress upon your heart the need from Psalm 63 to not only seek him, to not only praise him, but dear church, we must this coming year trust him. Number three, you need to trust him. And the reason this is an important point for us to conclude is because I suspect there are some, if not many, in this room that have heard me for the last 25 minutes or so and you've thought that I've kind of spun this a little idealistically. That Tyler, it sounds theologically good to say God is what I need, but that's, God is not really my felt need. You know, in a world of cancer, abuse, trauma, infertility, financial strain, marital strife, oh, how tempting is it to say, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek new circumstances. How easy is it to pray that prayer? It's easy for me. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. How could David say that? How can we realistically move on this coming year with Psalm 63 weighing on our shoulders and earnestly seeking the Lord? We can because of the logic of verses 6 through 11. For David makes clear to us that he sought and praised the Lord because he finally came to his senses and began trusting God again. Notice in verse 6, he says, I've been satisfied with you when I did a few things. I started to remember you. I started to meditate on you. I started to remember that you've been my help, that I'm in the shadow of your wings, that I'm clinging to you and that you're upholding me. David, in other words, began to trust at least three things about the Lord. He firstly began to trust his word. And I want to come in to you this coming year. Would you trust his word with me? Would you meditate on it as verse 6 says? Meditate in the original language is what you English teachers know as an onomatopoeia, which is a word that sounds like the sound it's describing. So the word in the original language sounds like mutter. And it's what it's referring to. It's muttering. When you meditate on something, you're slowly, back in the day, they used to like repeat it kind of under their breath over and over again, like a cow chewing on its cud. They would just let it roll around in their mind and heart. They would chew on the word. They'd think over it again and again. This is what meditation is. And this might be the secret for most of you in this room that find Bible reading to be a drudgery. 
If reading the Bible is something you know you should do, but every time you do it, you just kind of get a blank stare, hear now the words of the famed Puritan Thomas Boston who said, the reason we come away cold from the Bible is that we never warmed ourselves at the fire of meditation. You need to give yourself to meditating on his word day and night. Any of you got insomnia? I've had my bout a time or two. 2 a.m., like this morning when I woke up at 2.50, and I recognized I was not about to go back to sleep, I began to meditate on God's Word. <clears throat> I want to encourage you, my friends, would you chew on it? Trust His Word. Ponder anew what God Almighty has done and can do for you. Be a man or a woman of the Word this year. If you skip this step, if you do not trust his word, if you do not give yourself to the Bible, I assure you, you will not seek him. You will not praise him. You will find yourself in the wilderness that you were in in 2021. Trust his word. Secondly, I want you to trust his work. For if you look in verses seven and eight, he says a few things of importance. He says, oh God, you've been my help. That's another way to say, God, you've delivered me. You saved me. He says, God, I'm in the shadow of your wings. David was probably referring to the wings of the cherubim that overcast the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. In other words, David is, through this poetic language, describing God's mercy to us. We might contextualize verse 7 and say, Oh God, you've been my help. God, your cross is my only hope. The cross is our image this day of Jesus' mercy to us. He is saying, God, you've delivered me. God, you've been merciful to me. God, when I killed Uriah and I slept and impregnated his wife, oh God, when I reached the depths of despair, you saved me. You delivered me. Me, you forgave me. You had mercy on me. You have upheld me even when I was too weak to cling to you. You know, you may read verse 8 and think, oh gosh, I should cling to him. If only I had stronger faith. If only I could grab onto him more, then I would live a victorious life. But how many of you know how weak your hand is? You know that every time you try to cling to the Lord, you let go in a matter of seconds. It's analogous to my little 19-month-old boy or my three-year-old three girl, when we are crossing the street together, do you think I just put out dead fish hands and let them grab my hands and trust that they are gonna hold on as we walk across a busy road? Those two may think they're holding on to dad's hand, but we all know that this father has his grip on theirs. They think they're clinging to me, but in truth, I am decisively clinging to them. The imagery of verse 8. Cling to you. Oh, I cling to you, oh God. But what does it say next? But your right hand upholds me. Oh, I pray, church, that we would trust his word, that we would trust his work. He is holding us. And lastly, in verses 9, 10, and 11, we would trust his way. For if you notice verse 9, what does it say? But... And then he starts to say, my circumstances have not changed. There's still a lot of people out to get me. I'm still in the wilderness. God didn't deliver me out of the wilderness. I'm still there. But notice what David says next. In verse 9, he says, but you are going to exact vengeance. You, O oh God, are going to destroy those who seek to destroy my life. You are going to bring them down to the depths of the earth. That is a very visual way of saying you're going to judge them for their sin. 
David is saying, you are going to give them over to the power of the sword. They're going to become the portion of jackals, but this king is going to rejoice in you. In fact, everybody that swears by you is going to exalt, O God, because there is coming a day when the mouths of every liar will be stopped. My friends, this is a promise from God Almighty that his ways are not your ways, but his ways are better. You this moment may feel acutely that your ways are better than his. And if only his providence were different. And I pray you hear anew that famed poem that our pastor has recited a dozen times, I think I've heard since I've been here. Trust not the Lord with feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. For behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. These hard providences you are presently going through, God is using them in his own inscrutable ways to work his will for your good and his glory. And so I pray that you would with David trust his way. Trust his way, his work, his word. Oh, would you praise him happily? Would you praise him humbly? Would you praise him heartily? Oh, I pray that we would be found as a church in unison seeking God this coming year. Oh, to know him as David knew him. Oh, to know that he is our deepest need. I pray in 2021 that our prayer as a church would be in unison. Oh, God, you are our God. Earnestly, we seek you. Our soul thirsts for you. Our flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We've looked upon you, Lord, in the sanctuary. We've beheld your power and glory together because your steadfast love is better than life. Our lips as a church will praise you. Oh God, we're gonna bless you as long as we live. We are gonna lift up your name with our hands. Our soul is gonna be satisfied in you, oh God, as in rich and fat Food, we are gonna praise you with joyful lips. We're gonna remember you, Lord, on our bed. We're gonna meditate on you in the watches of the night. Oh, Lord, we are going to recognize together that you alone are our help, that we stand in the shadow of your wings. We are going to cling to you weakly and feebly, but we are gonna rest with sweet assurance that you, our good Father, are holding on to us. You are upholding us with your righteous right hand. Oh, Hickory Grove, I pray you see with David, we need God. Would you join me as we pray? With your heads bowed as we go to the Lord in a time of commitment. It's one thing to clap. It's another thing to believe that your deepest need is God himself. And so this final Lord's Day of 2021, I pray that every heart in this room would respond in one accord and cry out in repentance and faith. Oh God, confess to him how little you've sought him, how little you've praised him, how little you've trusted him. And if you do it, you are in good company. I have had to plead on my knees a dozen times this week to that end and ask that God by his grace would do a work in your life and in your heart that you could with David cry out, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no. Do this, I pray, Lord, to the glory of your name, by the power of your spirit. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet? As John leads us in a song, let's together confess our need for God.